matter of time, I suppose. Welcome to Watchmen Minute, where we take a look at the director's cut of Zack Snyder's Watchmen, one minute at a time. My name is Travis Bowe from the Real Comic Heroes podcast. I'm Eric Nash. I'm Rick from the Mad Max Minute. And I'm Julia from the Mad Max Minute. Glad you guys could make it through all the unpleasantness of the week, just to get to more unpleasantness. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's been quite a week. (laughs) I wouldn't exactly call what we've been through this week a fun time. (laughs) It's an important part of the story and definitely something that needs to be gone through, though. Sure. Well, Minute 105 starts with Rorschach entering... Nope. That's from last week's minute. (laughs) This minute begins with Gerald complaining about Rorschach's (laughs) brand of pet sitting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Minute 105 starts with the murderer upset about his dogs and ends with Rorschach explaining what happens to men. You see, Timmy, what happens to men? <laughs> yeah, I love the uh, starting out the, the minute. I love the line reading of you killed my dogs, man. Yeah. Like, right, because Rorschach is the one that's clearly in the wrong <laughs> in this situation. Yeah. Which there's a great response from Rorschach of just tossing the... Uh, the underwear at the man. There is, is there any dialogue from Rorschach other than, no, other than the very end of the minute, there's no dialogue, so. I had a roommate in college who, if you just were in her presence and not talking, she would continue to talk. Hmm. And she would just keep saying things because she just needed there to be noise. And if you didn't participate in the conversation, that was fine. She would just keep talking and have a one-sided conversation. This very much reminded me of her. Oh, okay. Only in that one sense. <laughs> no other sense did it remind me of my old college roommate. It, it yeah, like like you said, you know, if there's silence, like this guy is going to fill that silence cuz I mean, he gives he gives up everything. He starts he sees the underwear obviously and and instantly knows that Rorschach is thinking that he had something to do with that girl. And then, you know, goes on further to say that the evi- like that's not evidence and it's nothing. And the uh, the turning the flashlight onto the one of the dead dogs is it's not really a answer to the question of the evidence. So it, it must just be meant for intimidation, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I saw yeah. it as a threat. Like I I will do to you what I did to the dogs. Okay. Because it kind of plays like, well, here's my evidence, you know, which maybe in a, in some, you know, forensic way. I mean, obviously there would be forensic evidence in the dogs and in the backyard, that kind of thing to like, I could prove that these dogs had something to do with the girl. And, but yeah, I do agree. I think it is meant more for intimidation, which works because the next several words out of uh, Gerald's mouth are... Just word vomit of confession. I get so bothered sometimes when we're watching a movie involving, you know, criminals and police and questioning and whatnot. And the police walk up and the criminal says something along the lines of what Gerald says. Oh, you think I had something to do with that girl when no one had mentioned the girl, like which girl specifically they were talking about? Like, yes, he got a little burnt pair of underwear thrown on his chest but then he instantly thinks oh you think i had something to do with that girl where a maybe innocent person would be 
oh, where did you get those? Or, you know, those are awful. Get those away from me. Sure. If your first reaction is to say, oh, you think I had something to do with that crime, didn't you? And it's like, <laughs> well, we weren't talking about that crime. I found burnt child's underwear in your stove. You know, don't try and link that to a crime. <laughs> right. Not that I want to give pointers to child murderers, but <laughs> sure, sure. you get where I'm coming from. Hopefully there are none listening. <laughs> if there are, please unsubscribe and turn yourselves in. Actually, I heard that the local police station is actually giving away a prize. So if you take your phone with this podcast downloaded on it to the police station, they'll give you a prize. Yeah. All expense paid vacation. <laughs> It, the the funny thing about the him confessing is that he does it very defiantly. So smug. Yeah. Like, I, it, I guess he just assumes, well, I confess, so you have to arrest me now, and you can't do anything else to me. So Yeah, he's hoping for protection from the law. Right. At the same time, completely flouting the law. Mm-hmm. And there is something to that in our society— Sure. In theory, in in practice, you know, things go a little different sometimes. But in theory, when you are in custody, you have certain protections. No matter what your crime is, it's still supposed to be a safe place. So his expectations are justified. Although in this context, it feels very smarmy, like a way to escape the justice that is Rorschach is, okay, well, I'll just get arrested and then you can't do anything right. to me. And he might might somehow believe that, well, it won't be so bad. If I get arrested, I'll go to trial and there's not much evidence here to convict me maybe. I, you know, Maybe he still thinks that he'll somehow get away with it. Yeah. yeah, his statement of what evidence have you got, that's nothing, is still very confident. Yeah. Even though... Somebody tracked him down and somebody figured out what happened. Somebody took down the dogs because they knew what part the dogs played in the whole thing. Don't you think that somebody might have enough evidence to turn in to solidly link you to the murder? (laughs) But Gerald doesn't see any of that. He sees this pair of burnt underwear as the only piece of evidence. He's a fool. Mm-hmm. Sure. To say nothing about the the blood and the gouges that we saw on the that you know butcher's block. I mean, surely there's some evidence in there. So yeah. Since we're talking about Gerald, I find it interesting that in the movie he's very willing to confess to the murder and chopping up the kid and everything. In the book, he never confesses. Right. Rorschach never gives him the opportunity. Gerald is flabbergasted the entire time of what's happening. And I think it's good in the movie that they made Gerald confess to the murder. That way there's no question that Rorschach is taking out a terrible person. In the book, we don't necessarily know if the guy that Rorschach kills is actually Gerald. We assume he is, but he could be Gerald's roommate. (laughs) Gerald's roommate could be the one who owns the dogs. Oh, no. (laughs) The actual Gerald Grice could still be out there. There's a bit of ambiguity in the book. 
But as for the movie, they lay it out plain. Okay, this guy is a major asshole. He murders children. You know, no questions asked. Well, I mean, there is some, you know, he does say like, oh, I haven't done anything. And then he asks like, what are you going to do? But then he does say, uh, I know what you think. You think I'm I'm something to do with that little girl. Well, I'm not okay, okay? So... It does. It then the next panel he does as he's getting handcuffed. It says, you know, you can't prove anything. Uh, where's the evidence? I can't. You can't do anything to me. Does Rorschach? Hmm. I think I answered my own question in my head, but I'll <laughs> ask anyways. Does Rorschach in any way understand that he is that he himself is not a hundred percent mentally healthy? <laughs> does he see himself at all needing? psychological help or being psychologically damaged or does he see himself as being perfectly fine like the only sane one in an insane world i think it's a little bit more the the latter i think he sees he thinks or he believes he sees things clearly you know why can't everyone else understand that it's black or white you know because everyone else has personality defects and everyone else is soft and flabby and morally bankrupt and you know the the old heroes retired instead of going out in a blaze of glory fighting the good fight until you know the, the bitter end i mean yeah I, I think rorschach believes he is the only sane one or at least the only one that sees the world for the way it really is yeah i think i think you're right as what brought it to my mind was as Gerald is being chained up to the stove, he is saying things and he's growing emotional might be a strong word, but he's showing his humanity. Sure. He doesn't understand what's happening right now. He is afraid of what this intruder is going to do to him. And he is seeking help from the law and None of that phases Rorschach whatsoever, not even one little bit. Yeah. Even the confession of, I'm sick, I need help. Nope. Yeah, that just Doesn't seals, make any the, difference. seals his fate. Because to Rorschach, there's no such thing as a sickness that justifies incorrect actions. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, it goes back to him talking with the psychiatrist that, you know, you think that these people can be rehabilitated, you know, and, and Rorschach knows that. There is no rehabilitation for, what did you say, the, the rotten society or... Something from earlier this week, and I can't quite remember when it was, and it might have been from the graphic novel that Rick has in front of him, mentions that Rorschach had compassion on the family of the little girl. Mm. That even though they had they had no money, they had no means to find their little girl, he had compassion on them. And did this thing for them. Yeah. And that phrasing is kind of stuck in my mind throughout the week that Rorschach has the ability. He has the capability to be compassionate and to exercise that compassion to a, a pretty far extent. He, he put a lot of work into tracking down Gerald and he hurt people to do so. And he ends up losing himself in this case and all because he had compassion for a family. As he's talking to the doctor, he says that uh, days dragged by with no word from the kidnappers thought of little child, abused, frightened, 
didn't like it, personal reasons, decided to intervene, promised parents to return her unharmed. And then he put 14 people in the hospital until the 15th person gave him an address. Wow, that's much more detailed yeah. than the movie. Yeah, I, li- I like that a little <laughs> bit more. It's yeah. only one broken leg, I think, in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we know that he has those capabilities. And it's very disturbing that he that he can exercise it for the family, but he can't exercise it for this person. Well, I think... Who is sick. The connection in question is not so much the family, it's the fact that there's a frightened and abused child somewhere because Walter Kovacs grew up as an abused and most likely often frightened child growing up with the mother that he did. He never had any great sense of stability or maternal love in his life. And then outside of his home, he was constantly beset by bullies that we got to see where he bit that one kid's face off. (laughs) Say, I know you love remembering that scene. Uh-huh. <laughs> but when he sees those situations, yeah, the, the little boy inside of him can move him to compassion, but there's no happy ending here. Right. And it's interesting that we bring it, that we have this idea that Rorschach has a bit of a soft spot for children, because that's a trait that he happens to share with our main character in our movies of Mad Max. Hmm. The whole point of the first movie is establishing how Max as a lawman has a run-in, loses his family, and then goes off the deep end and becomes a vigilante. Nowhere near as organized as the Watchmen or anything like that. His vendetta is more personal and it ends once he takes out the people who have personally wronged him but yeah we like to talk about in road warrior and in beyond thunderdome how every time max is dealing with adults he's very tight-lipped very short very business-like but when there are kids involved those walls that he's built up around him start to crumble a little bit and as much as rorschach has this sense of justice and a personal idea that everybody is wicked and that no one is righteous, he still can't bring himself to leave a child in a terrible situation. Sure. And since we're on the topic of Mad Max, one of the main reasons I wanted to come on this week specifically is because of how Rorschach deals with this child murderer. Yeah. Now, for anyone has who has seen Mad Max, the 1979 original, you'll know that in that movie, his wife and child are run down by a gang of motorcycle gang members, and he systematically, one by one, takes them out until only one remains. And the one that remains is a guy named Johnny the Boy, who was more or less the one who burned a friend of Max's alive. Kind of got the ball it was rolling an... of this. Yeah. So when Max finds Johnny the Boy... The way that he takes care of him is he slaps a handcuff around Johnny the boy's ankle, drags him over to an overturned ute, and chains him to this truck, and then sets up a improvised timed explosive. The gasoline is leaking out of the gas tank, and so he sets up a little channel that runs a lot down to a lighter. And so the idea is that after a set amount of time, the gasoline will ignite, the whole thing will explode... 
and he hands a hacksaw to Johnny the boy and says, the steel in those handcuffs is going to be really hard to saw through. It's going to take you about 10 minutes to get through, but it'll only take you five minutes to chop through your ankle if you're lucky. (laughs) And then Max walks away. In the book, it's a very similar situation. Yeah. Gerald is chained to the stove and is given a hacksaw by Rorschach. And this whole time, Gerald is, you know, oh, you're giving me this. What is this? Look, please, you know, just say something. Are you crazy? And then Rorschach starts pouring kerosene all around the house. And so Rorschach looks back at Gerald and says, yes, shouldn't bother trying to saw through handcuffs. Never make it in time. And then he drops a match and he sets the house on fire. And he stands out in the street and he watches the house burn to make sure that no one gets out alive. And it is so brutal. But in the book, Rorschach has already had that moment where Walter Kovacs closes his eyes and Rorschach is the one that opens them again. We don't get that in the movie. So we don't get the hacksaw scene in the movie. Yeah. Would you have preferred the book version of dealing with Gerald or do you like the the way it goes in the movie with the cleaver and Julia, what do you think? I think both methods have their merit. I think the cleaver method that ends up in the movie is much more dramatic for Rorschach. He has to put more effort and emotion into physically doing this thing. Although the method in the book that is more drawn out it's more slow, more deliberate. He could, for a very short time at least, he could stop it. He could go in and rescue him. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't. He just stands there and watches. So it's less dramatic, but more drawn out, which has still a psychological impact on him, but I think a slightly different one. Yeah. It would have been visually very interesting with the house on fire and seeing... Maybe seeing Gerald's outline in the burning house mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and hearing him scream would have been very thematic. Although this movie does have lots of fire and screaming and things like that. So I'm not sure it really needed that addition. Yeah. <laughs> but the brutality of the Cleaver moment, I think, definitely serves the storyline well because it is so violent. Yeah. Yeah. And Rorschach has to participate in every moment of that murder. I think the importance of the cleaver in the movie is that he's breaking. Like we... Yeah. Because in the comic book, there's a lot of suggestion that, you know, Rorschach is chopping into these dogs. And that's the part where the blood splatters on his face and... We don't actually see him chop into those animals uh, because they're just animals. They don't deserve that. But in the movie, like this is Rorschach's breaking point. We you watch his body language in the moments leading up. He goes to chop at Gerald the first time and he hears his pleading and he hesitates and he stops. And eventually Rorschach gets to the point where no amount of pleading is going to reach him because he's just going to haul off and start swinging. And while I would have loved to see Rorschach burn the house down with Gerald inside, I feel like him plunging that cleaver into Gerald's head means more 
as far as transitioning from Walter into Rorschach than plunging the cleaver into the dogs. Mm. Besides, we also get an amazing line that's going to start next week that you guys can talk about when you get to it. But the whole idea that, you know, men get put down or men, men get arrested, dogs get put down because he's already chopped up the dogs through the head. And so he's doing the same thing to Gerald. And when you think about burning the house down with the kerosene and the, the handcuffs, that takes a bit of planning. It's not a spur of the moment. You could tell that in the book, Rorschach was thinking, oh, okay, I'll set up the mannequin as a detour. I'll throw the dogs through the window and then I'll chain him to the stove and I'll burn his house down. In the movie Mad Max, Max had a lot of time to dwell on his situation and then he decided to go out and get revenge. It wasn't a snap decision. It was something that percolated and brewed in him and eventually boiled over. Here in the movie, though, it's just Rorschach reaching a crossroads and he can't reconcile one direction, so he just goes full speed in the other. Yeah, I think uh, the I feel almost exactly the way that uh, Julia described it, where I think it's a it's good. There's a good reason for Rorschach to carry out the killing here because leaving it up to Gerald to cut off his own hand in the book, it you're right, it doesn't work with the death needs to be carried out by Rorschach. You know, he needs to be driven to that point of no return. Especially Rick, like you said, we don't get the, the scene with Rorschach and the dogs, so that needs to be right here. And especially, I like that. Like I said before, he's there's no dialogue from Rorschach, and you're seeing him breathing heavy and really struggling with what do I do here? You know, I, I I'm supposed to turn this guy in, but if I turn him in, maybe he gets away. Like I have to, you know, he he's pushed to that breaking point of of just cleaving his head in twain, and it's the only. It makes perfect sense for for Rorschach like that that's really the only way you know he could deal with this situation I think and I think they completely sell the 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 necessity of killing Gerald here in this way Um, because honestly until I reread the issue yesterday I forgot that that there was even a the fire and the hacksaw you know moment I I thought that the book and the movie lined up together in, in this way. So mm-hmm. I, I think the movie has kind of overwritten that, uh, that moment of when Rorschach becomes Rorschach. So I, I think I kind of like the book or the, uh, the movie way a little bit better because it makes more sense yeah. that it's, it's the man that pushes the, it's the man that brings Rorschach out. It's not the dogs. It's not killing the dogs that makes Rorschach come alive. I know. I think I think I'd go on on that take too, <clears throat> but additionally, I'd like to I'd like to wonder about the idea that from a movie making point of view or or creation point of view, really too, from Alan Moore's point of view. I mean, did he see Mad Max? <laughs> did he take <laughs> right. that idea? Was that an idea before Mad Max and some other property? Some other? We like to think that it came from yeah. Mad Max, especially considering that. You know, those original run of Watchmen comic books came out in 86 and 87, a full, you know, 
seven or eight years yeah. after the original Mad Max debuted in Australia. And I think there are some people that say, oh, well, you know, Mad Max came out in 1980. Well, no, it came to America in 1980. Mm-hmm. It came out proper in 1979. And I'm assuming in all of the other, you know, English-speaking British colony nations, probably pretty soon after. And there are other parallels that you can draw between Mad Max and Rorschach that this moment and the Johnny the Boy moment are a turning point for both of them. I think Max's psychological break was perhaps not as dramatic as Rorschach's. He became a different person. He took on a completely different persona that is now his main personality, while Walter is gone, is shoved into a corner. He might be down there somewhere deep down, but it's quite possible he is gone completely forever. Max's wasn't so dramatic. It was more, it was definitely more subtle, more potentially fixable. We've wondered many times that if he had just had the opportunity to reach out to a grief counselor, somebody who can help him through the loss of his family, that he could have recovered from his psychological break. I'm not sure Rorschach can. Probably, probably uh, not. Yeah, I think he's he's pretty done for yeah. psychologically. I like in the in the going way back to the book and you know basically the the first minute of this week in his first meeting with Doctor Malcolm. Dr. Long in in the book, it's like the very first page I think ends with uh, the end of their first meeting and he says, I think he's getting better because you know, Rorschach says that – I think it's the first inkblot test that he gives him and he says you know, he sees um, a pretty butterfly and he, the doctor in, instantly says, I, I really think he might be getting better. And this is after, you know, maybe the session was an hour long, but maybe, because I think it's the first card that he's shown him. So, you know, it's for someone to delude themselves into thinking that they can fix Rorschach in, you know, their first meeting or to even get any progress in changing him. And after all the time and damage that's been done to him, it's, you know, I think it's kind of funny. Absolutely. It's very naive. Right. Yeah. It's been a heavy week. It has. <laughs> it certainly you know, has. One thing that I really like about the book is the colors. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure you've mentioned this before, the idea that instead of doing the red, yellow, and blue color scheme of most traditional DC comics, they go for the orange, green, purple color scheme. Yeah. They shift everything from primary to secondary colors, and it just gives the whole thing a different feel. Yeah. I think that is one area where the book excels. I mean, the book mm-hmm. excels in many areas, but the movie, I think everything, when it's dark, it tends to just be dark. You know, we don't get a lot of the color palette that, you know, you get from the book. So, which makes sense. I mean, you know, it, it's not, looking at the book, it's not a natural color scheme that they go with. You know, no one's, you know, lighting isn't necessarily purple if it's dark, you know, where where it works in the book, but there wouldn't necessarily be a, a easy way to make it look like the book in terms of color unless it was overly heightened as if it was uh, like – think of like Sin City. If yes, they had added exactly color to mm-hmm. Sin City, it would have been you know, I don't know, oversaturated or just – But uh, uh, but then additionally to my last uh, 
my question to you guys and then uh could could uh part part of the reason maybe for Zack Snyder's change or for the for the scriptwriter's change Alex say and David Hayter and so forth um we'll find out about that very momentarily I think <laughs> but um uh to uh, having it be the cleaver to the head versus the fire and the hacksaw uh could it have been you know oh but you know we know Mad Max did that, you know, let's not do that. Let's not, you know, it was done in the book. It was Mad Max did it. Then it was done in the book. What if we change it? Mm. And you also had the movie Saw, like the first mm. Saw movie came out in, uh-huh. I don't know, 2002, 2003, maybe. Um, yeah. So. And they specifically credit Mad Max as the okay. inspiration for the inclusion of the hacksaw. Okay. So that could be yeah. it as well. Like maybe you don't want to, yeah. Be compared or, you know, be... You don't want to go back to that specific well. Yeah. In the medium. <laughs> yeah. You know, of movies. Yeah. I, I appreciate that even though they didn't incorporate the hacksaw into the end of Rorschach, Rorschach's story, which I said it once, I'll say it again, I think it was a good change. I do appreciate that later on in this movie, we are going to see a very specific reference to Mad Max. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're actually looking forward to hearing you okay. t- guys talk about Ozymandias and his wall of televisions. Right. <laughs> yep, looking forward to getting there as well. All right, um, any th- other thoughts or any last thoughts for, for the week or the movie in general? Nothing from us. I don't All think right. so. Eric, got anything? Uh, nope, I'm good. All right, um, I'm going to hit uh, some script differences. This is going to the... Um, it's the 2006 draft that I've been referencing. Um, the week would have started with um, there's there's no line really with uh, you know you keep calling me Walter I don't like you so we instantly we 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 start off without that the psychiatrist says you know tell me about Rorschach will you do that and instead of saying will you do that Walter it just says will you do that so we. Would have started this week off completely different, and so then you also don't get the you know you're fat, you're wealthy, you're liberal, and then all the discussion about compassion and, and stuff like that. So um, instead, it starts with uh, why are you, why are you here with me, doctor? That's Rorschach is asking asking that, and the psychiatrist says because I want to make you well, and then he goes into the thing about there are other men in here with you know the more extreme behavior so that plays out the same and then he does say i'll tell you about rorschach and then it instantly cuts to a flashback with uh, the voiceover it does say flashback 13 years ago so um, with this it does take place you know in 1985 in this in this script so that would have put this in 1972 instead of the real uh, Blair Roach case going into 1975, so I don't know why uh, three years makes a difference, but plays out basically the same. You know, he approaches the house, he finds the dogs, he goes into the front door. Um, there is when he's inside the house, he says he Rorschach moves between the line of headless mannequins as he's like weaving inside the house. So there might have been more of a plan to use more of that. Uh, dressmaking shop you know um, aesthetic he uh he finds the the dogs you know fighting over the the bone and says rorschach clenches his hands in fury his fist 
fists tremble, and then suddenly he relaxes, calms. And that's when he goes to the cupboard, reaches for a cleaver. And then it says later, the child molester, greasy and fat, walks past now silent fence. So that's when he shows up. Um, and it does say that he flicks on the light switch, and then it says nothing. So in the book, at least, or in the script, there wouldn't have been any lights come on. Um, tries the light in the kitchen, again, nothing. And that's when the dog comes in the window. And then it says that he scrambles through the warehouse, falling over mannequins. So I don't know if this hmm. is part house, part, you know, warehouse. It's kind of odd. Um, he fires his gun madly into the dark. So we didn't get that here. And then he says when, when Rorschach appears, he handcuffs him to the stove, and the child molester sees that face, he loses his bladder. Hmm. Kind of interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, says he confesses kind of in the same way that he doesn't use really as much as the dialogue. He doesn't, you know, drop all the F-bombs that we talked about. And pretty much instantly Rorschach, it doesn't appear that Rorschach is really wrestling with that decision of what to do. I think that's kind of goes back to the, when he sees the dogs wrestling over the bone and he says he relaxes and calms. I think that's when that moment happens for, for Rorschach because, you know, after he says the arrest me, he says men get arrested and raises the cleaver high over his head. So, so the man is still alive when Rorschach says men get arrested. So that'll be mm. the, where we'll end this uh, little, little section till next week. So, so nothing crazy different, but I think the, the moment of Rorschach being really being born is, is, Again, like a third kind of uh, option that I'm glad they went with the, what they did in the in the movie. So I think it had, like we talked about, more impact. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. All right. Um. So yeah, Rick and Julia, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Um. I'm I'm glad that you guys were here to help us get through this week because, I mean, I think we I think we found or, you know, made some, some good out of this. Yeah. I mean, it's a dark week. It's a lot of horror in what is otherwise just a costumed action hero movie, you know, seeing into Rorschach's mind is not a mirror that most people would like to hold up to themselves. Mm. <laughs> Staring into the abyss. Mm-hmm. And I love how at the end of the chapter, as we mentioned on Monday, the chapter in the book is called The Abyss Stairs also. At the very end, you actually get the Nietzsche quote that yeah. says, Battle not with monsters, yes, ye become a monster. And if you gaze into the abyss, the abyss gazes also into you. I think this week is a perfect example of a scene and a movie as a whole that really benefit from this minute-by-minute minute analysis. Oh, sure. We were really able to take little bits of Rorschach and look at them individually and put them into the whole of just a five-minute time span this week. And I think we get a lot more from the movie having done that. Yeah. Cool. I was going to add, is this the darkest minutes of any movie-by-minutes? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you didn't have it. Could, I mean, you, you know, Max's, you know, pondering and you know, grief. That's that's not as dark as this, is it? 
it's emotionally yeah, dark. Yeah, yeah, right. But yeah. the violence in this week kind of tops that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think yeah. I'm ready for uh, for the weekend. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that's going to do it for week uh, 19 here on Watchmen Minute. As always, we'd like to thank Pete and Alex over at Star Wars Minute. Oh, yeah. And and, and the uh, moviesbyminutes.com. With yeah. The, still, it's, it, it, it's, 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 really, it's really stopped right here at 94 for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, it seems <laughs> to be holding steady at, at 94. Yeah. What, what's up with that? I feel, I feel like there's an in-joke that, uh, that we should not be surprised is present. <laughs> The way is shut. <laughs> oh, you know, after a week like this, you know what I could really go for? Mm. Some fried food. Oh, yeah. I don't think there's anything that could ever ruin my appetite for good old fried food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, head over to the Listener Society and let us know what your favorite fried food is. <laughs> Although you might want to save that for one of the other minutes coming up. Yeah, yeah. Till it's topical. Right, right. <laughs> Hmm. All right. Uh, some last uh, last plugs for, for you guys. Here at the end of the week, if anyone is interested in coming over and checking out the Mad Max Minute, they can find everything related to it at madmaxminute.com. There you can find links to our iTunes and Google Play pages. You can find the RSS feeds for our current season and our previous season, so you can listen to it all through your podcatchers. If you want to get a hold of us, we are on Twitter at Mad Max Minute and on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, where you can find our listener page, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. All right. Thanks again for joining us this week. Oh, thank you for having us. Absolutely. This was this was an interesting ride. <laughs> was indeed. <laughs> All right. Then we will end it here and come back next week for minutes 106 through 110. And until then, who watches The Watchmen? We do. We do. We do. One minute at a time. Watchmen are over. <laughs>